You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Derek Lopez. Hey, so it's been a little bit uh, since since I've been up on the stage. We're going to go through a recap of everything that's happened and just stay with me, everybody, okay? Because for some of you, you may not know. You may have missed some, may, maybe not. You can always go back and read Scripture. But uh, we're in chapter 15, about halfway through, and what has happened is David sees this woman named Bathsheba, and he wants to be with her. He gets her. He commits adultery with her, and then she gets pregnant, and to hide the sin, he kills her husband, Uriah. So David does this terrible thing, and then a prophet named Nathan comes to David and says, because you've done this thing, you, the, the sword will never depart from your home. You, you, even your own siblings, your siblings, your own kids will come against you. And so David has this word that he's given. Well, what ends up happening is David has this son. His oldest son, his name is Amnon. Now, Amnon uh, has a half-sister named Tamar. She's a beautiful woman. And, and he wants to be with her. Well, he takes her. He violates her. And what ends up happening is David hears of it. He's furious, but he does nothing. Well, then when Tamar goes to her full-blooded sibling, Absalom. Absalom says, don't take this to heart, but he takes it to heart. And what Absalom ends up doing is Absalom has these expectations in his mind or in his heart of what should happen to Amnon. And he sees that his dad doesn't do anything. He sees that there's no justice. So he takes justice into his own hands after two years, and he kills his brother Amnon. Then Absalom flees. He goes to this to uh, Gesher, where his grandfather is king. And so he goes and stays there. But David doesn't go after his son. He doesn't even try to repair the relationship at any level. And so what ends up happening is there's all these expectations in Absalom's heart, possibly. I'm sure that there were. But David is convinced through a story to go back and get Absalom and bring him home. So they go, they get Absalom, they bring him home, and Absalom, uh, Absalom sees that, that he's limited because the one caveat is that he cannot see King David. He can't be around King David. So it's saying, you are restored, but not really. You can be in Jerusalem, but you're not a part of the family you will not inherit a blessing. You will not be blessed. I don't, I don't love you. I don't look at you as my own child because of what you've done. I can't forgive you. So can you imagine all of the things that are stirring in Absalom? He's already high justice. He takes it into his own hands. So, but what he does is he, he, he decides, okay, I need to be before the king for political reasons. I need the king's favor. So he manipulates his way. He burns a field. There's tons of stuff that happened. Go back and read, okay? But, but he, he ends up getting before the king. He gets the king's attention. He comes to the king. He bows before the king, and David kisses him, and he's restored. Well, then he starts making political moves where he has men and horses run in front of him. He sees how things were done in Gesher, and he decides this is how royalty really acts, and he does that. And then he says, hey, dad, 
I made a vow. What he does is he invokes the name of Yahweh for his own pursuit. And he says, hey, Dad, I made a vow to, to God that if he ever brought me back from exile from Geshur to Jerusalem, that I would go to Hebron and I would offer sacrifices to the Lord. That seems like a good thing because that's a place where sacrifices happen. It's a place of covenant. It's also a place where David was made king. It's a city where kings are made. And so David says to him, and he believes him, and he says, hey, shalom, go in peace. And that's the last thing that David says to his son that we have recorded. So he goes, but he doesn't go in peace. He goes with a, a coup on mind. He wants to take over the nation of Israel. He wants to be king, so he goes there, and he, he has this plan he puts together where he said he, they send messengers to all of Jerusalem, or all of Israel, not Jerusalem, and, and says, tell everyone that Absalom is king in Hebron. Now, this guy was handsome. He had long hair. He was the most praised person in the whole nation. He's very popular. And so the uprising grew and grew and grew, and the support for him grew because he would even, before he would even stand at the city gate and say, hey, I'll hear your case. I wish I could hear your case. Tell me what's going on. I'm sorry, the king and his officials aren't here. So he, he puts himself in a position where it would be better, but he does it without using the king's name. And so, so he is very manipulative, very cunning, and that leads us to where we are today in chapter 15. Verse 13, I'm reading from the NLT so everyone knows. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Now it's important to remember, this is complicated. Because, because this is David's own son. Like he can't, he can't have the relationship with Absalom and have the kingdom. It's also complicated because David hears the word, and I don't think that David possibly knew how much it had spread. So it's like, okay, what should we do in this situation? There's lots of things happening. They could come and over, overtake us if there's more. He can't keep the kingdom and his son. And there's also the people who will, they'll be shed with, their blood will be shed. And it probably, the uprising probably was too much for him to handle. He couldn't just squash this. And he probably couldn't squash it without killing Absalom too. Verse 14 says, Then David said to all the officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, and none of us, or none of us will escape. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. What I want to talk about today in this, what I saw, is how do we respond when we are betrayed? Because David, he really has a, he has a knife put in his back by his son. And I think there's some things we can learn. We can learn some things from them. There's some things we can learn from the true King Jesus. And we're going to look at some of those today. But, you know, it's interesting to me the response that he has here because I think that David, David, he knows immediately, and before, he was, he was indecisive after he has adultery with Bathsheba. It's like he, he's paralyzed, he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know how to handle this kid, he doesn't know how to handle that kid, he doesn't know what to do in the kingdom, but here he knows exactly, and I think it's like this, like for me, when I see one of my kids do something, or I see the back of their head and they just tilt their head a certain way, 
I know exactly what they're thinking. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, my son's standing on the couch, and I see him look over at the fireplace, and I go, oh, no, he's going to try to jump from the couch to the fireplace. Stop! Right? Like, we just know. And they think they can fool us, but we're in them. So we know. We were them, right? It's like Sammy yesterday, he, like, sneaks around, and Josie says, Sammy, stop. What do you got? And he's like this, and he's like, and she said, show me what's behind your back. And he goes, she says, what's, what's in your other hand? And he goes, <laughs> right? I can't fool us. But I think, I think David, in a way, he saw glimmers of that, not only because he burns Joab's field, not only because he kills his brother and he tries to do political gain, but I'm sure that he saw this in him even as a little guy that he would take justice into his own hands and that he was ruthless. I'm sure he did. Quite possibly not, but, but I mean, he's, he's his dad. He would know. And so he knows immediately, hey, we gotta leave or we're all gonna die. But what I want you to see is that he's, he uses the words, we must flee. We must leave immediately. Or he will move quickly and put us and the city to the sword. It's important, this is the first point, point. when we are betrayed, it is important to think about how it affects everyone. David's not only thinking about Jerusalem, I'm sure, he's thinking about all of Israel and the blood that will be shed. So he says, we, all, we, we gotta go, we need to leave. Verse 15 says, the king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. Now, this is how you and I, we should respond with our king, King Jesus. I think, it, I love this verse in Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You know, I've heard about it like this, that us waiting on God isn't us not doing anything. It's almost as if, picture a waiter, at a restaurant, waiting on the Lord. Now, I have a bunch, if I'm a waiter, I have tons of things I need to do. I need to go to the kitchen. I need to make sure I get the order right. I need to go to the register. I need to communicate with the other staff members. I need to smile, right? But the most important thing of being a waiter is the person I'm waiting on, above all else. That's the heart of the issue. And in this Christian life, we have things that we got to do and things we got to get done and we got to try to do our best. But at the end of the day, we're supposed to wait on God. We're supposed to say, what do you want? What's your will? What's your way? I love that that's their response and that's what ours should be as well. So it says that the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. So this is mentioned later, and it's super important, the story. We're not going to get into all of that. It's not okay that David had concubines, just so everyone knows. Okay, that was wrong. But him leaving them there is showing us that David probably thought he was going to come back to Jerusalem quicker than not. And so I think, I think if he thought it was going to be a long time, he probably wouldn't have left them. But verse 17 says, So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. All of the men marched past him, along with the Carathites and Pelothites, and the 600 Gittites who accompanied him from Gath, 
marched before the king. These, these men had been with him for a, a while, the Gittites. So, but this is, they're at the edge of the city. This is like David being the captain of a ship. When the ship goes down, the last one off should be the captain, right? Should be. And so what he's communicating, this is a good leadership, is he's communicating your life is more important than my life. You guys go ahead. You go first, and he waits for every single person to get past him. The first point was it's important when we're betrayed to think about how it affects everyone. Point two, when we are betrayed, it is important to put others before ourselves. We want to put others before ourselves. The king said to Ittai, the Gittite, verse 19, moving on, why should you come along with us? So this is a guy that David's probably known for a long time. It's someone who's probably fought with David and been on his side. Go back and stay with King Absalom. He says, you are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. So that's probably because of his relationship with David. He's in exile. But he's saying, hey, it would be better if you stayed in the city. You don't have to be a part of the fight. They'll leave you alone because, you know, you, you're, you're, like, you're like Finland. You're, you're just, you know, you go this side or you, you're just, hey, I'm out of the game. You know, I'm not in World War II. So, so he, he could have done that. He says, you only came yesterday. Today shall I make you wonder with us when we did not know where, when I do not know where I'm going. Go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But I love this response. But Ittai replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, wherever the Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. So the first time he mentions the Lord, that's the Lord Most High. The second time is David. So it's interesting because in, in, in times of betrayal, God will show us who our true friends are, right? He'll show us who's for us and who's not. And sometimes it can be surprising. I mean, this response, the, even his own people in Israel are not standing with David, only those in Jerusalem. And so this should be our response as well. This guy was a, was a mercenary. He was a foreigner. He, he could have just checked out, but he decided not to. And he, he mentions that as the Lord lives and in in as you are king. So basically he's saying, God made you king. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And this should be our response as well, is we should follow Jesus with all that we have. And this touches David's heart because it's the same response that his great-grandmother Ruth gave to Naomi. She says, no, no, I will go with you. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So it touches David's heart. And so what ends up happening is he's like, hey, we want this guy with us because that's a great attitude. And so David says, go ahead and march on. So Ittai marched on with all of his men and the families who were with him. And the whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by, and the king crossed the Kidron Valley, but all the people moved towards the wilderness. They're weeping because the king is going in exile. It would be like the same for us if our president was going in exile. Right? Verse 24. Zadok was there too. I'm going to move on. Zadok was there too. And all of the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. 
They set the ark down, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until the people had finished leaving the city. It says, Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark and go back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. So David is saying, hey, we're br- they brought the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to come with us. But he says, hey, you know what, that Ark? That is not God. That is God's furniture. He's saying, I'm not going to reduce God to, to a good luck charm. He's not a lucky rabbit's foot or anything else. I'm not going to do that. If God wants this, I want God's way and I want his way. It's important that you and I, when we find some 10-step plan or 5-step plan to get an answer of prayer, that's, we just have to submit to God. We can't make God do this or that. He knew we, I can't just bring the ark and get whatever I want. Come on, somebody. Right? So then... David, David understood that, that he, he, couldn't, he couldn't leave with God's blessing. So then he ends up actually spiritually slapping these priests and pastors a little bit. But the king also said to Zadok the priest, do you understand? And I could see it like this. And who, who's ever had a leader talk to them like this? But like, do you understand? Do you get what I'm saying? Have you ever had to say it to somebody or a kid? Do you understand? He says, go back to the city with my blessing and take your son Ahimehaz with you and also Abiathar's son, Jonathan. You and Abiathar return with your two sons. I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform you, uh, from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went with his head covered, and he was barefoot, and all the people with him covered their heads, weeping as they went up. You know, it's important to, to mention this, but Psalm 3 is the psalm they believe that David is praying as he's going up the mountain. And just listen to these words, but hey, this isn't only for David, this is for you too. Okay, everybody? And don't shut it down. You know, sometimes conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't only for something that we should not accept, but it's also something that, or something we've done wrong, but it's also something we should accept for ourselves. So even if there's something in this message that hits your heart today, and you feel like, oh, I shouldn't act that way, don't shut that off, because that's probably the Lord. If it's a part of His Word, we should follow His ways. But if you're having a hard time accepting the Word of God spoken over you, and you feel like you should accept it, you should accept it. It's a blessing for you. Okay, everybody? Just a little side teaching. But it says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many have risen up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high, I call to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lay down and sleep I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear. Everyone say, I will not fear. fear. Though tens of thousands assail 
me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. See how he ends that? May your blessing be on your people. His eyes aren't only on himself, it's on everybody else. We should do that as well. The first point was when we're betrayed, it's important to think about how it affects everybody. The second point is it's important that we put others before ourselves. But the third one is when we are betrayed, it's important to trust God, to put our trust in him. Now David's going to have something happen, a deeper betrayal. Verse 31 says, Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So that was one of David's trusted counselors, one of his wise men. But it's also the grandfather of Bathsheba, and he probably didn't like what happened with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and how David killed him. But now, regardless of how it all happened now, she's married to David. So this guy, by marriage, is now family, okay? And that's the viewpoint I think David probably had, is this is a family member. This isn't only a trusted counselor or a good friend, it's family. Hey, Dad, would you go ahead and come on up here? So he's going to represent King David, and I'm going to represent Absalom. So uh, in many ways, like like my relationship with my father, David and Absalom had the same relationship. Everything, my mannerisms come from him, okay? Uh, how I say things come from him, uh, how I work and everything, but also... All the good stuff. Yeah. 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 The impatience. Um, the extreme excellence. All of that. So, but... But he, he made a foundation for us as kids. And so I'm not here on this stage if it wasn't for the foundation of him raising me. Okay, as a, as a pastor and as a leader, he would pour into us. Uh, Saturday mornings, we'd, he'd just read the word, read the word, read the word. He poured in a lot. Okay, so a lot of what you see is because this man poured in to me. So it's the same with their relationship. Absalom is prince because of his father, David. Absalom is handsome because of his father. (laughs) Absalom has wealth because of his father. And so, can you imagine how it would have felt? But you know what? David sees what's coming, right? Like he's, we're gonna do this different, okay? Mm -hmm. So, David sees what's coming. And so what does David do? He tries to stop the blow, right? He tries to stop the stab. Hey, Dad, could you look over there at that? Do you see the farm, Lenny? Yeah. So just focus on that. So this is what it would have been like. One, he's already been stabbed in the back, right? (laughs) Did that freak you out? I was excited about this. So he's already been stabbed in the back by his son, Absalom. This is his very son. But now another family member, And a friend and a trusted counselor stabs him again. And he has to leave Jerusalem. And he's convinced the rest of the nation to be against him. He talked about putting two knives in his pocket. One real one. Allegedly. That's hearsay. I learned that, her term, hearsay. That's hearsay. Okay. So, 
for anyone who didn't hear, he said that I wanted to put a real knife in my pocket and a fake knife. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But anyways, <laughs> so, but he, sta- he stabbed in the back. Can you imagine how he feels over and over and over and over and over and over again and over again, right? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes people will do this to you when they stab you in the back, and they'll say, ah, just brush it off, right? Just brush that off. But you know what's so great about Jesus? No, not yet, not yet. So think about this. David is going up a mountain. He's weeping. And he's being betrayed. He gets to the summit. But Jesus, could you just stretch your arms out like you're going to receive it? Just receive it, man. Um, But Jesus, he knew he was going to be betrayed by Judas. He knew all of the disciples were going to flee. And he went down the mountain and accepted it. And he took it, but the one who was stabbing was you and me. It was us. It's important that we remember that, that it was our sin that held him there. This was so much fun, Dad. (laughs) Love you. Thanks, Paul. Aren't you so thankful for Jesus, though, that Jesus, Jesus is so much greater of a king? He's so good. But Jesus, he let it happen. So it says now, in the second half of 31, it says, So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel to foolishness. One, when we're betrayed, it's important to think about how it affects everyone. It's important to think to put others before ourselves. When we're betrayed, it's important to trust God. Number four, when we're betrayed, it's important to be on our knees. So he prays, but I want you to see to be on our knees isn't only, it's not only praying, it's full submission. So that's submission in everything. In submission of all of God's ways and all of God's wills, Remember, Jesus, he knows he's going to be betrayed by Judas, and he says, what, you, what you've come to do, go ahead and do. He goes and starts to betray him. Where does Jesus go? He goes to the Mount of Olives, and he gets on his knees and prays. And Luke chapter 22 says, this is, as he was praying, an angel showed and appeared and strengthened the Lord. We can get strengthened from prayer. But submission, he prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's important that we're on our knees. And we submit to his ways. And he ended up going down that mountain so he could have that knife stabbed into his side. Something else interesting about Ahithophel, his name means my friend is foolishness. Almost prophetic over his life. Verse 32 says, When David arrived at the summit where all the people used to worship God, Hushai, the Argite, was there to meet him. His robe was torn and dust was on his head. And David said to him, if you go with me, you'll be a burden to me. This is like, sometimes it's harsh to hear things from your leader, right? Like that could be hard. And I don't know why he says, if you go with me, you'll be a burden to me. I don't know if the guy talked a lot. I don't know if he told stories. Maybe he just seemed annoying. Maybe he had a little bit of a lisp. And he just... He said, you know, King, I have this idea today that you should, you should come with me and we'll go over here and we'll do this. Like he just was, maybe it was just annoying, who knows. But maybe it was the fact that he would 
talked so much that he would get his way and just press and press and press like the, like the widow that was persistent. Maybe it was that. But either way, it says that he, he says, you're going to be a burden. But he says, but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant as I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. So they're turning what Ahithophel did against Absalom. He's doing an Ahithophel on Absalom in a way. So he says, you say to him, your majesty, I'll be your servant as I was your father's servant, but now I will be your servant. Then you, then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priests Zadok and Ebiathar be there with you? Tell them anything you hear from the king's palace and their two sons, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, and Jonathan, son of Ebiathar, will be there with them. These names, man. I practice these names. He says, send them to me with anything you hear. You know, it's important that when we pray a prayer that we realize what the answer to the prayer is. How many times have you and I prayed, hey, Lord, we pray that you would stop the rain for this event that we're having, and the rain stopped, and we go, huh, hey, it worked, everything worked out. How about that? But then we never say, hey, thank you, God, for stopping the rain, to acknowledge him in all things. We don't know what to do, and then we have this idea come to mind. We pr may pray and have this idea come to mind, but then never acknowledge that God gave us that idea. Or even the fact, well, the Lord gave me a brain, at least, him answering our prayers. But he, what David does is he moves on the answered prayer. So Hushai, David's confidant, arrived at Jerusalem as, the city, as Absalom was entering the city. You know, David, he uses his friends and he uses his friendship when he's in this area of betrayal. He uses those who are closest to him and loyal to him. And that's what you and I should do. I love this Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. First point, when we're betrayed, it's important to think about how it affects everybody. We want to think, we want to put others before ourselves. We want, uh, we want to trust in God. We want, to, it's important we're on our knees. Now, let me say this about being on our knees. That's also forgiving people. Submission isn't submission if you don't submit all the way. We have to let people go. Like Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's not saying it was okay. This isn't okay what's happening. It's not okay someone stabs you in the back, but you need to let it go. Just release them. It's saying, I'm no, I'm no longer going to drink the cup of unforgiveness, of poison, because it only hurts me. It's like, I've heard someone say forgiveness is also, unforgiveness is also uh, lighting yourself on fire, believing the other person will die of smoke inhalation. Okay? We don't want to do that. It's a little funny. But it's true. That's what we do. Maybe they'll know that I feel mad. I'm, I'm fine. So, get over yourself, Right? The fifth point is this, we want to lean on our relationships, but 
When we are betrayed, it is important to lean into our relationship with Jesus. Worship team, would you please come on up? It's important we lean in our relationship with Jesus. You know, I had somebody betray me that I loved and was close to, hard me. But you know what I had? I had relationships around me. Men, one of them was my father, but they would say, whenever you think about the situation, you think about how much it hurts, think about how terrible it is, you think about all these things, they would all say, you know what you should do? Is you should praise God in spite of the situation and speak life over the individual and over yourself. And I was like, mm, don't really want to do that. But then I tried it, and you know what? It was an immediate where, where every, but it got easier every time. Lord, I praise you that you have good plans for me. I praise you that you have something ahead for me. I praise you, Lord, that, that this does not define who I am. It's important that we lean on our relationship with Jesus because he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is. We're friends of God. Amen, everybody. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.